Well, here we are. We're continuing through our sermon series, The Church on Mission. As Pastor Austin preached last week, we knew that the disciples, they gathered together with Jesus. They had witnessed his miracles. They saw his crucifixion, his death, and resurrection. They also witnessed his teaching, his love, his personhood, and his life without sin. But now their teacher, their friend, their master, their God, Jesus, he shared something with them. In Matthew 28, 19-20, he said to them, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In this series, we've learned that God is building his church for a great purpose. The church, do you remember? Is it the building? It's not the building. The church is the people he's redeemed and gathered. The church is not a building, but a people. And now, God gives his people the mission to make disciples of all nations, to proclaim his glory and live not for ourselves, but for him. The mission gives the church her identity and purpose. So now this morning, along with the mission, Jesus commands the practice of two ordinances that sets the church apart. These ordinances act as a sense of affirmation of the mission, the identity and purpose. So the two ordinances that we're going to be talking about this morning is baptism, which we witnessed this morning, and the Lord's Supper or communion. At this time, we have ushers who will pass out Bibles. If you don't have a Bible this morning, in the youth ministry, we always encourage our students to bring their own Bible. So if you have a Bible at home, bring it with you to church. Bring it with you to your workplace. Bring it with you wherever you go. We kind of have this saying, right? That bring your Bible here, bring your Bible there, bring your Bible everywhere. That's what we say at youth group. So have the habit of bringing your Bible, the Word of God with you, not just on your phone. The reason why I think there's something special about opening a real Bible, you actually remember it much better than just scrolling through a screen. So if you have your phone, you can put that away. The distractions are there. They can wait. And open up a Bible. Okay. We'll also have the verses up here on the screen that I'm going to be speaking from. So the first thing I want to mention is we have a statement of faith at our church things that we abide by and believe. And I wanted to read a section of that statement of faith that's specifically talking about the church. We believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which he is the head. The true church is manifest in local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm not just making this up. It comes from God's word and our statement of faith as well. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. So baptism is a part of the Great Commission. We saw that when we read from Matthew 28. Baptism is once for all while the Lord's Supper is ongoing and regular. We call them ordinances because Jesus Christ 
commands us to do them. But we can also call them sacraments. Maybe you've heard that word as well. Because through them, God's blessing and grace come to us in unique ways. They're visible signs that we're bound together, not just as a single person, but as a community, as a family, by his death and resurrection. And by our use and practice of them, God can use them to help the Holy Spirit more fully declare the promises of the gospel to us. So as we study and look through baptism and the Lord's Supper this morning, I want your your mind to be open to the idea of how this relates to the gospel. How this relates not just to us as an individual, but to us as the family of believers. We should be thankful for them. We should honor them. We should look to God in them and expect from God, through them, the communications of his grace and peace. They are to be reverenced. But church, they're not to be idolized. And no one is to imagine himself better just because we practiced the ordinances. They're not just personal or individual experiences, but we are members of a community. And so the people who belong to Jesus, we practice these as kind of like boundary markers. The Westminster Confession says this, they put a visible difference between those that belong to the church and the rest of the world. They're both signs and seals. We call them signs because they symbolize the blessings of salvation, forgiveness for sins, reception of the Holy Spirit, and the ability to commune with Jesus Christ. They also assure us and stir up faith in us. Even as we heard the testimonies this morning, were you not stirred up by the faith that they have to believe and trust Christ this morning? They remind us of the power of the gospel and give us the opportunity to experience God's grace. So just like preaching the word in corporate worship, prayer, and fellowship that we practice every Sunday, the ordinances are also a way that God can use to strengthen our faith. So before I even read from the Bible, I want us to just take a minute, grab a neighbor. If you're alone, just kind of turn yourself around. And I want you to pray for each other. Just, Just a brief prayer. Pray that God this morning would unveil truth to us from his word that would take root in our hearts to leave a forever mark because sometimes we come to church, we hear a message, and then we leave and we forget as soon as we walk out the doors what we even learned this morning. Let's pray that as we talk about something that we practice regularly, it can seem so mundane, but let's pray that it would actually liven our faith this morning, increase our love for Jesus. So will you just take a second just to turn to your neighbor While you're doing that, I'm going to be praying for those who are on our live stream as well. So will you just take a second? I'll give you a brief second to pray quietly, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get right into it. Lord, we pray for those who are tuning in online, live stream, that can't be with us this morning, that maybe they're shut in, they can't be with us. We're sick, and Lord, we pray as a church family for us, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. By the power of your spirit, you would illuminate your word for us so that our love for Jesus would increase and that you would change us this morning. Lord, we pray these things with faith in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you, church family. 
Um, I know my grandfather and grandmother are also tuning in via the live stream, so I just wanted to give a shout out. Today's my grandfather's 88th birthday, so happy birthday. I love you very much, and part of my faith is a tribute to him as well and his love for Jesus. So we're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. Otherwise, it'll be up here behind me. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to jump right into Jesus' baptism. He himself, our Master and God, was baptized. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, he immediately went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, who, with whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus went to the Jordan River. He asked his cousin John to baptize him. Why did Jesus get baptized? After all, he had no sin to confess, no need to repent, and John's response was appropriate. He said, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. And Jesus responded, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You see, in his baptism, Jesus identified with all of us. Because of sin, we will someday die as a result of God's judgment. Have you ever wondered why God chose water to symbolize in the act of baptism? Well, I believe that water is a sign of God's judgment since Genesis chapter 6 and 7, when God judged the wickedness of man and sent a flood to destroy all but Noah and his family. And though Jesus would never sin, he would nevertheless die at the hands of sinful men as he absorbed the wrath of God for the sinful world. You see, Jesus himself received the just punishment on our behalf. He willingly laid down his life for us that God's judgment would not be poured out on us but on him. And so for us, it was poured out on Jesus. Jesus was baptized to show that he would take our judgment upon himself. Water is also a necessity for life. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, all the way at the very beginning, and we'll see all the way at the very end, this idea of how God uses water to show life. Before there was light, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. When God created life, water was a necessary component for life. And not just at the beginning of life, but also at the end. God shows the importance of water. One day, when the resurrected and the ascended Jesus returns to inaugurate the new heavens and the new earth, we see in Revelation chapter 22, a river of life will flow from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the new Jerusalem. Jesus uses water to show the result of judgment and the result of new life because of what Jesus did for us. It's a beautiful thing that God can show us a means of his gospel in a picture that we can see and tangibly experience. And at Jesus' baptism, we notice that all three persons are present. God himself speaks 
The Spirit of God descends like a dove and Jesus being baptized. When God spoke, he boasts from heaven and he says this, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. As I was looking at that, I'm reminded that every time we remember our own baptism for those who were baptized, we too can know that God says that about us. He says, this is my child with whom I am well pleased. We know that we cannot please God without faith. And because of God's grace through faith, we've been adopted into his family. We've received Christ's righteousness. We've been forgiven and redeemed. What a joy it is to be a part of a family. I also want to share a quote from a, a great resource. It's called the New City Catechism. It was put together by the Gospel Coalition. It says this about baptism. Jesus was plunged beneath the waters of judgment so that I might drink the waters of everlasting life. Because Jesus calls me brother, I can call God my Father. Because the Spirit descended on him as a dove, I have peace with God, who once regarded me as his enemy. Once I was outside the people of God, estranged from his family due to my sin, but now I'm a brother to all who have been likewise baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful reminder to us? That we're not just here practicing something, some meaningless ritual, but we're living out the gospel being expressed through something so amazing that Jesus has called us to do because he himself was baptized to show us that he is our Savior. He himself gave up his life, lived a perfect sinless life, and then willingly died to pay the penalty of our punishment, our sin, for the wages of sin is death. And here, our Jesus, our friend and Savior, He took that punishment upon Himself. He paid the ultimate price for you and for me. Not so that we can just go live our life by ourselves, but to be a part of something so amazing, to be a part of the church with a purpose, to be on mission for Him, a life changed so that we can be used for God to glorify Him in everything that we say and do. Now here at Riverstone Church, as you witnessed this morning, we practice what we call a believer's baptism. However, there are different interpretations as you study the scriptures that are equally credible to teach and practice. In fact, the EFCA, that means the Evangelical Free Church of America, that's our denomination that we're a part of, they, view, they have a couple views of baptism that states this, the timing and the mode of baptism have been placed in the category of silence. So this means that the timing refers to when someone is baptized. So in other words, you can say, call it pedo-baptism or credo-baptism. Believer's baptism is also called credo-baptism, which is someone who has professed faith now is baptized. They've come to understand the gospel, they profess faith, they believe, and they're baptized. Pedo-baptism, in other words, is also called infant baptism. Now, the mode is also referred to here as a significance of silence in the EFCA. The mode refers to baptism by sprinkling or immersion. So the EFCA believes that both views are actually credible and biblical. The EFCA stands on this statement. We will debate these things, 
but we will never divide. Church family, this is so important as we are part of the EFCA to understand this. I'm going to read something from Greg Strand, who's the executive director of theology and credentialing. Basically what that means is he's a lot smarter than I am, so I'm going to read what he said about this. Okay, he also serves on the board of ministerial standing for those who credential and ordinate, ordinate people or pastors within the EFCA. He says this about the time and the mode of baptism. We recognize that the interpretations of Scripture on the relevant points regarding the two positions on baptism differ with one another and are in some ways incompatible. We allow different interpretations. Not because we think Scripture is intrinsically ambiguous on the matter, nor because we think Scripture provides so little information that it's unwise to hold any opinion, but because some of us think the credo-baptist position is in line with Scripture and that the pedo-baptist position is mistaken, and some think the pedo-baptist position is in line with Scripture and that the exclusively credo-baptist position is mistaken. In other words, both sides hold that Scripture speaks to the matter, but each side holds a view that excludes the other. So however, we do not believe that our differing views on this matter should prevent our unity in the gospel and full local church fellowship. And it is in the sense, and only in this sense, that this statement of faith allows both views. In other words, what's important for us is that there are other churches that might practice baptism different than us infant baptism. And what that also could look like is much more like our family dedication services, that a family believes and trusts in the gospel of Jesus, and they are not saying that based on the parents' faith, this is now the faith of their children. They are not saying that now their kids are born with salvation. We know that the scriptures teach us that one must profess faith in Jesus Christ. It is not through the act of baptism that one is saved. So both of these views would hold to those truths. But at Riverstone Church, we do practice believers' baptism. I wanted to show you a picture of my baptism, which was actually 20 years ago. Um, I t was about 12 years old. As you can see in this picture, I too was basically an infant. Um, <laughs> but I profess faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was a part of New Hope Community Church at the time, but I just wanted to give you an idea of this is my baptism. It might look different based on the church of how we practice baptism. We have a, a pool here where maybe here I was baptized in a member's pool at their home, um, and it might look different. I've seen baptism services where they baptize people in pig troughs filled with water. In the scriptures, we see people in the New Testament being baptized in small puddles and creeks and rivers, right? I've seen some people be baptized in the ocean as well. So as we consider what this looks like for us, church, it must become clear for us today that different views that are practiced within our denomination, neither view teaches that water baptism is necessary for salvation, nor is it a requirement for salvation. It's not equal to repentance or the confession as Jesus is Lord and Savior of our lives, so it's important for us that when we say that we will not divide, that we do not look down on other Christians because they practice baptism differently than us. We are no better Christians because we practice it one way. And I say that because I do believe that our view is correct, and yet 
when we have a view that we believe it's to be correct, sometimes we're tempted to believe it's the only way. So here, the conviction of our leadership at Riverstone Church, we practice credo-baptism or a believer's baptism. Believer's baptism involves a person hearing the gospel, accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior, and choosing to be baptized. It's his or her choice. In fact, our Constitution states this. We believe that God's Word commands every believer to be baptized by immersion as a public testimony of their identification with the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is not considered a requirement for salvation. And so, church family, we believe that the word baptize comes from the Greek word that means to immerse. In baptism, a person who has professed faith in Christ Jesus is immersed under the water as a picture of what the gospel has done in his or her life. So this ordinance is a one-time act in the believer's life. And if you are someone here this morning that's been baptized as an infant, and now you are considering being baptized here at Riverstone Church, please come and talk to us, pastors and elders. We would love to talk to you more about what that could look like for you. And as we witnessed this morning, baptism is an act by which a person publicly calls upon the name of Jesus, identifies with Jesus, and understands that they put their faith and trust in him. That it's not the act itself that changes them. But they're already publicly declaring, professing what has already taken place. Baptism from the beginning has been seen as a point of entry into the visible body of Christ. So Paul actually describes that those who have been baptized into Christ as sons of God and part, are part of a new community. He says this in Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is baptism into the body of Christ, and so into the church. It's a visible sign. So what I'm saying here is when someone publicly declares their faith. It's a symbol of showing now they are a part of the church family. They're not going to be baptized again. And so as we get into the Lord's Supper, what the Lord's Supper is, it's a practice of ongoing practice, remembering Christ's death and resurrection, His sacrifice that was made for us, a reminder to us where baptism is once for all. Communion is an ongoing and regular practice for us. Paul also says that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And so when someone comes out of the water in baptism, it physically depicts the spiritual reality that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too have been spiritually raised from the dead. We're born again. And one day we will be resurrected physically and gloriously like Christ. So church family, I want us to just be reminded by this last passage before we get into the Lord's Supper. It says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. When Jesus spoke 
to the person on the cross next to him. He said this, Today you will be with me in paradise. He did not have the opportunity to be baptized. So it would be wrong for us to say that baptism is a requirement for salvation. You see, it's what happens and takes place before we are baptized, that we've been changed. We've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, and now we want to be baptized like Christ was baptized, to identify with him through his death, burial, and resurrection. I hope this makes sense to us, church family. Now I'm going to go into the Lord's Supper. I'm not going to take as much time talking about the Lord's table, but I want us to also be reminded of this great gift that we have as a church family to practice this regularly. Next week, we will be practicing the Lord's table. Christ commanded that all Christians to eat bread and to drink from the cup in thankful remembrance of him and his death. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of his presence. So when we think about the Lord's table, I want you to think about these three things. We remember, we celebrate, and we are together. First, as Paul states, we've received from the Lord this sacred practice in the life of Jesus' church. So essentially, all Christians agree that practicing the Lord's Supper is a critical aspect of what it means to be His church. Again, this affirms our identity and our purpose as the church. The Lord's Supper is a covenant seal and sign. It both represents and confirms us to the promise that God has made through Jesus Christ. The promise that He is our God. That we are His people. And in the Lord's Supper, we have remembrance, we celebrate, and we experience communion together. First, we have remembrance. What are we remembering? Jesus told His disciples that they were going to proclaim His death until He comes. And so the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper is a representation of the covenant sacrifice. The bread and the wine, the two parts indicate that Jesus' death was a deliberate act on his part. He willingly gave his life as a sacrifice. Remember, he said, this is my body. He said with the wine, this is my blood. He gave up himself on behalf of us. So we are to remember the meaning and the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. He said this, Do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is also a celebration of God's presence. It's an amazing thing to think that we as sinners, once enemies of God, are now invited to tuck our knees under the table of God, to come and sit beside Him, this is an amazing thing to think about. That to sit at His table, to eat with Him, to dine with Him, is such an amazing privilege because of what Christ has done for us. That we know that it's a celebration that we can come even though we have once rebelled against Him. I was reminded about a passage all the way back at the beginning of Scriptures. It says this in Genesis chapter 3, Satan, when he first tempted Eve in the garden and Adam, it says, take and eat this fruit. They ate the fruit against God's command. And the result wasn't satisfaction, it wasn't fulfillment, but it was being driven away from the presence of God. But now Jesus has now invited us back into God's presence. And when Jesus went to his disciples 
he said the same words, take and eat. He reverses the words of the serpent in the garden. A scholar named Derek Kidner, he said this, God tastes poverty and death before take and eat becomes verbs of salvation. And so now every time that we remember the Lord's table, every time we hear the words, let's take and eat together, it's a celebration of our reunion now, being invited back into the presence of God, and we can enjoy this fellowship once again. And lastly, church family, we do this together. It's communion. We are part of a community. Communion not just with God, but also with his people. So Paul instructs the church in Corinth to participate together as a church. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we're reunited with the Lord Jesus, we're united to everyone who is united to the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, it's so important for us to recognize that the Christian life is never meant to be walked alone or just with Jesus. To live a fulfilling life on mission for Jesus is to live a life on mission with the church. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians, you must discern the body. In verse 29, he's not telling them that they need to understand some mystical thing about the elements. What he's saying is the body he's talking about is the body of Christ, the church, the fellowship of believers. Church, this is why when we practice communion, we practice it in the context of a Sunday worship service. It's why when we're all together gathered, that's when we practice the Lord's table. And this is why we don't practice it in small groups or within youth group or in other small sections of the church. It's important that we recognize that we are part of a body of believers. And he's using this to nourish our souls. It's a means of grace, both baptism and the Lord's table. It's God's appointed ways in which he can build us up, nourish us, confirm our faith, strengthen us for growth. And the Lord's Supper is an anticipation of the glory to come. What a great hope we have. This week, I'll be honest with you, it's been a week for me personally. And I know for us as a church family, it's been a week where we've seen tragedy, hardship, things that were not expected. But what a great hope we have that allows us to live in these days where we have the unexpected to know that God is with us, beside us, and helping us every step of the way to trust in Him and His promises. That one day we will be with God forever in His glory. And when the great end has come and all have acknowledged Jesus to be king, he says that it's on that day that he will bid us all to recline. Just like when he was with the disciples, 
reclining on the night of the Lord's Supper, he will serve us. So it's in the Lord's Supper we anticipate the marriage supper of the Lamb, where one day we will sit down with one another in glory and our Savior will serve us again everything that we need forever. What a joy it is to come and be reminded just by simply coming and practicing in the Lord's table. Isn't it amazing, something so mundane to take bread and a cup together. This is what we're remembering and celebrating together as a church family. It's not simply just grape juice in a plastic cup or an interesting little graham cracker thing that we eat, but it represents Christ's sacrifice for us that we remember his death, taking our sin upon himself, and his resurrection, that we have new life. And when we believe and trust in that, we proclaim it and we identify ourselves with Jesus through an act of baptism. And so church family, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and have yet to be baptized as a believer, I want to encourage you to take that step of faith. I know that every believer here in this room that's been baptized would say the same thing, that maybe they felt nervous or anxious about it, weren't sure how it would go over, scared of maybe even speaking in front of many people. But the Lord speaks through us, brings us here by faith. It's an act of obedience to Jesus. And so may the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper stir faith in us this morning, affirming our identity and purpose in Christ as a part of the local body. Let's pray together, church family. God, we're so thankful that we can celebrate the testimonies of these three, Kelsey and Darren and Corey. We're so thankful for their love for you. But Lord, now we also pray as a church family that we would surround them by love and grace, that we would protect them. And Lord, we pray for your protection over them. I know that the Satan will have schemes to tempt them, discourage them even this week. So Lord, we pray for your spiritual protection over them. God, we pray that we would trust you this week that as we're reminded of baptism and our own baptism, that you look down on us as your own children whom you are pleased with because of our faith in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray as a family that we would remember and celebrate together your sacrifice that you gave your one and only son, Jesus, who gave his life for us so that we could sit at your table once again. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, church family. If you don't mind just blessing one another this week, take this challenge to your hearts. May God bless you and keep you.